Hey, Mountain Friends. How's everybody doing? Let's welcome everybody in at all of our campuses. Can we do that? Hello, everyone. Welcome. Good morning. Got a bunch of people online today as well. Glad you're with us. So, friends, I believe God wants to write a new chapter in your life that has a whole lot more peace and a whole lot less panic. Okay? God wants to write a new chapter in your life that has more awesomeness and less anxiousness. Does that sound good? We, we're trying to win the war on worry, and that's kind of what we're focusing on in this series. And we can't avoid all the anxiety in our life, but it doesn't need to run our lives. It doesn't need to ruin our lives. So that's where we're focusing over this series. There's a quote by Max Lucado that says, The presence of anxiety. Well, that's unavoidable. You're going to have some, but the prison of anxiety, that's optional. We're going to try to opt out and figure out what are some of the tools and keys we can use in the fight against anxiety. I really appreciate how um, y'all have let me and Kirk uh, so far be kind of vulnerable with you and just, I, you know, I say honestly that, you know, we too struggle with anxiety know what it's like to have to lie awake at night, to feel a tight chest, to lose your breath, to just have your mind swirling and swimming about things. Um, this last week's been a dude. It's almost like God saying, oh, you want to preach on this? I'll give you some personal experience. So, you know, it's just been a crazy uh, couple of weeks. Uh, started this week with a funeral for a friend and then um, a health scare for someone I love very much, some other family kind of things. It just took some time. I'm like, where's that going to go? Strained my calf, injured my calf, which I hate because then I can't exercise. And then I get cranky and I worry about that. And then I had to travel, didn't get a lot of sleep, spoke three times out of town, one of them on politics of all things. Got on a plane, left town right after that. I'm not whining. I'm really not. I'm really not. I know I don't have any real problems. I realize compared to so many, I just, I just want to say something at the front that just says, you know, if you struggle with anxiety, you're not alone. And a lot of us experience some level of what we're talking about. In fact, this thing is growing like crazy in the United States. It's like epidemic. Look at these two numbers. Um, you realize that anxiety disorders are now the most common disorder in our country. Like it just passed, like depression and whatever. 18% of all American adults say, I struggle right now. 40 million. And that, that, that's just, that's crazy. In the last 30 years, there has been anxiety disorders, a jump of 1,200% in the last 30 years. The number of people that say they struggle. Think about that. Does that seem crazy to you? My parents lived through the Great Depression, okay? World War II, <laughs> the Vietnam War, the Korean War, you know, the pink scare, all that stuff. And we've got 1,200% more anxiety. Does that seem a little crazy to you? The World Mental Health Organization has found that the United States has more anxiety than 14 other countries. Like we're, we're, we're like way up the list. Like we have more anxiety than like Lebanon and Nigeria. These countries, these countries that have civil war and massive famine and, and terrorist bombings going on all the time, but we got more stress. How's this possible? Well, there's lots of reasons we could talk about. It's not really what we're here to talk about, but we know it has to do a little bit with, with, um, the diminishment of relational connections, right? We're more, I, I was just at this pastor's gathering a couple weeks ago. The number one cause of struggle among pastors, you know what it is? Isolation, loneliness, and I don't think it's just pastors. We know social media is playing a factor in this. Like, hello, duh, you think? We've got constant social media. We're, we're not relationally connected, but we're 
Connected on the web, which means we have these constant comparisons. The kids are constantly seeing fear of missing out, FOMO. What, am I, what party am I missing? You know what everybody's wearing. If there's a disaster on the other side of the world or a shooting in California, we know instantly and incessantly what's going on. All this contributes, no doubt. You know, it's, it's like anxiety is something you can't avoid, but you used to be able to kind of pass through and forge that river once in a while. Now it's like... Our society is stepping into the river, but the river is wide and raging and fast and it just sweeps us and we can't get out. And it just kind of keeps taking us downstream where we don't really want to go and kicking us out into a swirling sea. And I I love the quote by Skip Herzig. It says, if you don't live with an anchor of faith, then you're going to drift in a sea of anxiety. So we're reaching for that anchor of faith and we're trying to help each other here and come up with a response to, to this for all of us. I think it's why the interest in this series is so huge uh, because it's touching a nerve for, for so many of us. Now I want to say something out the gate here that we've said every week one way or another and that is to try to just say, you know, this is a complex and serious issue. Not, you know, everyone's anxiety isn't the same as the next person. Every situation is kind of unique, and we don't want to be guilty of oversimplifying anything here. You know, just say a little prayer, and it'll all be hunky-dory. It's not what we're saying. Um, there are forms of anxiety and other mental health challenges that, that need a robust and, I would say, multi-pronged approach to get help. You may need to, to get some help from a number of angles all at once. I know of some people who've been helped through diet, through exercise programs, through counseling, through a therapist that can kind of help you reframe some things in your head. Or sometimes I would even say medication, so the chemical imbalances that come into play can be addressed. God gave us medicine and doctors and, and counselors, and I would say don't be afraid to utilize any and every resource God has put it at our disposal. And if you have something like a suicidal thought, please hear me. Please get some help. It's normal to feel like you'll never get through this, but pick up the phone, call someone, call the suicide hotline, call us, call a friend, be in the space of some friend until you can get through what you feel you can't get through. Here's what else we know. There is a deep spiritual connection with anxiety. And that's where we have a lot of authority to speak. And, and so while it's a holistic issue, we're going to talk about some of the spiritual roots that are involved here and some of the spiritual antidotes to anxiety. And so that's why we're calling this series Anxious for Nothing. And we're, we're hovering in the same passage of Scripture. Some have said it's the most highlighted part of anyone's Bible, and it's, uh, it's found in Philippians chapter 4 because it's helping us pull all these things out and kind of dwell on like these four different antidotes. We're going to put the words on the screen again today and read these words together. If you, if you know this already, you want to try, try memorizing it, close your eyes and go for it. We'll float you along while we say it together. Out of respect for God's word, would you stand at all of our campuses and if at home, online, stand as well. If you're driving, you can stay seated. All right. Uh, let's, let's read these words together. So fill your lungs with air and your hearts with hope. All right. Let's, uh, let's read these words. You ready? Let's begin. Rejoice in the Lord always. Stop. Wait a second. Think about what you're saying. 
as you do this. Think about it. We just read the word always. Always? Always? Really? When your girlfriend, you just found out your girlfriend's been cheating on you? When, you're, when, your best, when your best friend lets you down? When your kid makes a horrible choice? When you're flat broke? When there's tension at work? When you can't sleep? When, you're so, when the anxiety is so real and so thick, you don't want to leave your house? And you're not sure you can get out of bed? Paul, are you sure? Always? What does he say next? Let's keep reading. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Grab a seat, y'all. What we're pulling out of there is these four powerful anecdotes, antidotes, to anxiety, and they kind of help us get our calm, okay? Calm, C-A-L-M. C stands for celebrate. We began there talking about rejoice in the Lord. Why? The Lord is near and He's in control. A stands for ask God. That was last week, Kirk helping us see how prayer is the pathway to peace. Today we talk about the L, list it. We're going to talk about how thankfulness is such a powerful antidote to anxiety. And then next week, M, mind your mind because what you focus on in your brain determines what you feel in your gut. Let's go back, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where we're going to dwell today. Let's look at this again. Put that up there again. Let's read it together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We all see this word here. Anybody got anxiety? Yeah, we all put our hands up. We all want this, right? Anybody wants some peace? Yeah, we all put our hands up. How do we get from here to here? The verse demonstrates it very clearly. It goes right through here. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. We need to live with thanksgiving kind of lives. It's a powerful, powerful force. Anxiety is dealt a devastating blow when we realize that Even in bad times, things often aren't as bad as they appear, and that gratitude causes us to remember all that God has already done to provide and care. Anxiety and worry asks, what if? What if? What if that happens? What if that happens? And you play all these bad scenarios. What if it's a a sort of cascading waterfall of what ifs that just sort of floods you? What if? What if? It focuses on fears of the future, doesn't it? What if, what if, what if gratitude, on the other hand, causes us not to ask about what if in the future, but it points to something in the present or the past and says, hey, what about that? Don't forget that. What about that? 
What about, instead of the what if, worry of the future, gratitude says, what about that? And it just reminds us that we have reasons to be thankful. And when you feel thankful, you feel anxiety slipping away. Friends, this works. It's like, it's like a scientific principle of the universe. Anxiety and gratitude cannot simultaneously occupy the same space. It just doesn't work that way. If, you, if I have a big old jar, a glass of water up here, and it's full to the brim, and I take a big old orange and I plop it in that water, what happens? The water spills out. It's called the displacement theory, right? The same exact thing happens when you've got gratitude entering this, the picture with anxiety. If I've got a big old jar full of anxiety and I begin to put gratitude, thankfulness in, there, there is a displacement that happens and the anxiety will slip because it cannot occupy the same space. You want to get rid of anxiety, double down on gratitude. It's like gratitude and anxiety cannot coexist. There's actually been a lot of research done on this, on the power of gratitude in our lives and the, even the positive health benefits. Secular research has done this. If gratitude could come in a pill, it'd be a wonder drug. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing what it can do. We're all you know, worried about the coronavirus, but I wish there was a pill you could take to get rid of all that stuff, right? Well, you know what? There is an antidote to anxiety and you don't have to have a great insurance plan or go down to CVS to get it. You can get your fix right with the wonder drug called gratitude. When you count your blessings and allow your heart to feel and then express thankfulness, it works. Studies have shown that people, when you show thankfulness during the day, you sleep better, which means you have less fatigue, less depression, and less anxiety. It literally improves your physical health when you live with thanksgiving. It releases chemicals in your brain and body that are good for you and make you feel better. You can get high on gratitude. Studies show that you can actually reduce inflammation at the cellular level by being grateful. So go grab your Advil, but better, better yet, get your attitude with thankfulness. I love what that Benedictine monk said. Happiness does not make you grateful. It's gratefulness that makes you happy. Think about that. You see the difference? The gratitude comes first. We have to learn how to be thankful because so many things, not just health benefits, come after that. So we've got to learn how to do that. And here's here's the key. Gratitude comes when you simply recognize that you've been given a gift You've been given a gift. You've been graced with something outside yourself. This is the key to getting us past entitlement. And so many of us struggle with entitlement. And some of us are nodding our heads like, yeah, that's for sure. And others of us are like, well, not me. And it's probably you. <laughs> Gratitude gets us past that entitlement sense that oh, I have every, I mean, everything I have, I deserve and I need more. It gets us past a sense of pride where, yeah, I did everything myself. It gets us past self-pity, where well, I don't have anything. You know, I do, I don't, you know, my life's bad. Gratitude is when you recognize you've been given something by an outside source that it didn't come to you from you, and you can be grateful. Now, you know, those Greeks are amazing, right? <laughs> they are, and that's why God chose that as the language he would 
reveal his scriptures in, in the New Testament, was written in Greek. Let me tell you the Greek word that you would find in your New Testament for gratitude, all right? Let me put it on the screen. The word for thanks in Greek is eucharistia, eucharistia. Now, some of you, former Catholics, you recognize, oh, there's the word eucharist right in the middle of it. That's what that word means. It means to give thanks, eucharistia. And, and, and by the way, uh, we observe that every weekend at Mountain. We, we don't call it the Eucharist usually. We call it the communion meal, the, the Lord's Supper. And if you don't know what to do during that time as the elements are passed, reminding us uh, of what God has done for us, you, you can confess your sins. You can just commune quietly and pray with God. But every time you should give thanks. That's what the meal is for. You give thanks. It means Eucharistia. Now look inside that word thanks and gratitude, Eucharistia, and there's another word hiding in there as well. And it's the word charis. Charis. Or charis. Sometimes people name their kids after this. And it means grace or gift. So you've got grace right in the word thankfulness. And it's a reminder that everything God gives is grace, not because we deserve it. Our salvation through Christ is a gift of grace. And every day, new mercies, graces come to us every day. All good gifts, every good thing in your life, the Bible says, comes from the Father above. And so we've got all this charis in our life. Let me show you one more word hiding inside the word gratefulness. And it's the word kara. Maybe you've heard the name kara. It's a name that just means joy. Joy. It's hiding in there. So you've got all three of these things hiding in there. Put them all together and and you you look at it. Here's what happens. It's a cycle. You receive grace. You receive something you don't deserve. It's a gift and you, you, you allow yourself to feel, wow, joy comes out of that. So what do you do? You want to express and give thanks. And when you do, it starts over again. There's new mercies the next day. I receive something. I note it. I feel joy and I express gratitude. That's a different cycle, y'all, than what most of us are living in, which is, oh my, I don't have enough. I don't have anything. What if, what if, what if? I feel bad. I feel negative. So I project that out in some anxiety, which then spirals into the next day. And we do this one. Instead of, I receive something beautiful, a gift of God, a grace gift. I feel something joyful and I express it in thanks. And that spirals a whole different cycle for your life. See the grace, feel, feel the thanks, I mean, feel the joy, and, and then give the thanks. Friends, there's a, there's a bucket in your heart that's filled with so many good things and all the things you need to cope and to find your way in life and find your peace. You've got that bucket in you already. It's just that sometimes because of circumstances and the way our society is making us think, we feel like, my bucket's empty. I don't got nothing in my bucket. You go to God even sometimes. You say, my basket, my bucket's empty. Can you please fill my basket? You know, sometimes he does. He'll add extra things in there. But you know what gratitude does? A thankful heart trains us to just stop and look inside the bucket and realize that God has already given you so much. You thought it was empty, but it's just because you forgot and you haven't looked deeply enough in there. Thankfulness reminds us, your bucket's not empty. And you begin to look in there, you begin to pull out things and say, oh, I forgot about that, like a kid going through an old toy box you hadn't played with for a while. You pull stuff out and you say, oh, that's cool. Hadn't thought about, oh, that's amazing. This is awesome. And you realize it's deeper and more full than you thought. And you pull them out and you hold on them and you remember them and you look at them and you say, look at the blessings I already have. Friends, I want to encourage you right now to look in your bucket. 
We're going to do that together. In the rest of this service, we're going to start looking in our bucket. Will you just do that right now? Look in there. Make a list. You should have got a little card like this that says, what am I thankful for on the way in? Grab it. Will you please grab it? Get something to write with. And if you don't have a pen, borrow one. If you, there's one in the seat back if you're at one of our campuses. Or if you don't, you know, you can do this on a list on your phone. But do this, y'all. Please do this. Make a list. Don't skip the obvious stuff. Some of you aren't doing it. I know who you are. I can see you over here at the Mountain Road campus. Get your pen out. Because if you didn't come here to... you know, Just learning the concept will not help you. You've got to make the list. You've got to look in your bucket. We've got to get our heads off the empty bucket feeling to the full basket feeling. If you don't count your blessings and allow yourself to feel gratitude, you'll never get rid of the anxiety. So think about some of the good things. Get them going in your minds. Maybe you've got good health right now. Maybe you're grateful for something in your family. Maybe you have a house or a spouse or a job that you're grateful for when you think about it. Maybe you can afford education. Or or maybe there's some simple things in your life you could start noting and writing. Let your heart feel gratitude. Keep your list. Keep writing. You should have already seven things on there. If you're not, you're behind. (laughs) Fill that whole thing up. There's room on the back. Grab another one if you need to fill up two. Keep writing as we go here. Keep writing. Friends, there are three kinds of people. There's the kind of people who actually don't know that what I'm saying is true. They don't know this principle. They don't know this concept. They do not know that gratitude, the reason they never, they have so much anxiety and they are so negative and whiny is they never express thanks. And they just don't know this. So I'm teaching that to you today. It's a great tool. There are some other people who do know it in their heads. They know that if they would just focus on what's right and pull out some blessings and thank God for it, it would help them. They just don't do it. I'm like that sometimes. I know it would help. I just don't do it. There's a third kind of person, and that is someone who knows this is true, understands how gratitude diffuses anxiety. And they do it reflexively and naturally and regularly. And I want you to be that kind of person. So we have to practice. So keep writing. Don't forget names. 1 Corinthians 4.1, Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you. You could fill up a whole page with names of people who've been important to you, who've spiritually fed you, who've got you where you are today. People who saw something and you invested and you write their names down. Could be from 30 years ago, five minutes ago. I'm thankful for my grandfather. I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful for my wife, Carla, and my kids. I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters. I'm thankful for so many and so much. I'm thankful for tacos. I love dogs. I love the moon. Keep keep writing your list. You can stop listening to me if you want to. It's more important to get that list written. And every... Every single thing you put on that list is another orange going in that big glass. Because when gratitude walks in the front door, friends, of your heart, anxiety starts walking out the back. They cannot occupy the same space. Treat each anxious thought with a grateful one. You don't thank God for the anxiety. You thank God for something else in your bucket. This is not easy especially when you're in the grip of something that feels so real. And I realize some anxiety has an energy of its own that takes over, and there's other steps that have to be taken. But this is huge, y'all. And I'm going to go a little deeper with you on this, okay? I want to take you a little deeper about what this passage is talking about and the reason this gratitude trick works. And it boils down to a simple word, perspective. All right? Can we say that word? 
Perspective. Let's try that again. That was pretty lame. Perspective. Perspective, we all know, is like maybe two people looking at the same thing in different ways. Some people like cats. Some people don't. All right? All right? But you look at the same circumstances maybe in different ways. That's the power of perspective. Take a look at this fun picture from the beach, for example. It's a study in perspective, okay? That's a fun little, little picture. But that is, that, that, that's how anxiety feels. That woman who feels like I'm about to be swallowed by a huge hand in a big blue bucket and it's dark and it's scary. It's very real when it's happening to you. Very real. But from our perspective, we can quickly see through it and go, wait a second, I think this is maybe not exactly what it seems. And that's a difference of perspective. So how do we learn how to get a different perspective? Well, let's go back to our passage for just a little bit. Remember now, we're talking out of the book of Philippians. Does anyone remember, shout it out if you do, who wrote this book? Guy named Paul. And what city was he in? Does anybody remember? He's in Rome, correct. And where is he staying? Is he in the Holiday Inn? No, he's not. Where is he? He's in jail when he writes this. Important context is king, we always say. So remember this. Why did he go to Rome? Because it was the center of things. He really believed Jesus had changed his life. He believed it was the answer. He wanted everyone to know, if I go to Rome, he says, it's the center of everything. I can touch, every, I can touch the world from Rome. I mean, it's like today we'd go to Washington, D.C. or New York City or Darlington or something, you know. So, so that's, where he, that's why he goes there. So yay, he's in Rome, but it's not working because he's not preaching. He's in prison instead. And so here he is, and the whole thing has apparently fallen through, and he's not just in prison, he's chained up to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, eight-hour shifts, chained up to this guy, next hour, next eight hours, chained up to that guy, and on and on it goes like that, so he is stuck. If anyone has a reason for anxiety, it is Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, chained to a guard, waiting his judgment. You know, the definition of frustration is when you have a goal that's blocked, and that creates anxiety. And some of you probably are dealing with that right now. Some of, you, some of you feel like Paul, like you're stuck in something. A dream is crushed or a problem you can't solve. That makes us feel anxious. Some of you feel like you're chained up to someone or something that won't set you free, and that creates anxiety. And so Paul, who could have been feeling incredibly anxious in this moment, instead of focusing on his fears or his future, he focuses on his friends, and through the inspiration of God, writes this letter to the Philippians and says things like, Rejoice always and remember to pray with thanksgiving. How? Is that possible? How does he find joy in jail? How does he get peace in prison? What's our word? Perspective. It's perspective. Now, it's a bad situation where he is. No question about it. He's looking at it, and he could have said, no, this is not good. Oh, man, this is really bad. This is hard. You know, I can't function in here. I can't do ministry in here. My, everything, I'm, everything I'm about is bad. You know, it's, it's gone. My dreams are over. He could have written a, a verse that would come to us, and we might call it the BPV translation of the Bible, which you, I like what one preacher calls it. He calls it the bad perspective version. So we use the NIV sometimes, the NLT. What would the BPV, the bad perspective, see if you've ever heard the bad perspective version. Here's what he would have said. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, here I am sitting in jail, really sucks. My God let me down. I'm overwhelmed. I'm depressed and hopeless. 
I'm filled with anxiety because all hell I've been through, man, I've had it. So I'm quitting my small group and I'm never going back to church. I'm so ticked at God. Can anyone relate to the bad perspective version? Ever written a little bit of the BPB, BBV Bible yourself? My situation is so bad. I got anxiety. It's getting worse. I can't function. It goes down, 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 down. But he looked at the very same situation. And that is not what he said. He did not minimize his situation or candy coat it. But instead, here's what Paul says as he sits in jail in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served... To advance the gospel. I came here to advance the gospel. Turns out God's at work in ways you can't see. And he's doing it in ways that I didn't anticipate. I came here to advance the gospel. They locked me up. Guess what? God's still advancing the gospel. That's a power of perspective. He says, it's a result. It's become clear through the whole palace guard. I mean, everybody knows about me because all day long I'm chained up to somebody. Guess what I'm doing? I'm preaching. They all know why I'm here. They thought I was a prisoner. Turns out, who's the prisoner now? They thought, they thought I was chained to him. Nope, you're chained to me. And so that's what happens. It doesn't look good. It could have been bad. But I learned that God is at work. He never leaves or forsakes me. He's here. I've got a perspective of thanks. I've got a perspective of praise. Even in this situation, it's going to advance God's work. It's a change of perspective, y'all. The very same situation. Instead of saying this is terrible, he says, I'm going to give thanks. Instead of falling into panic, he starts to say, I'm going to give some praise. Instead of, you know, just sitting around worrying, he says, you can stand and worship. It's amazing. Now, what's so amazing about this whole thing to me is that this isn't the first time Paul's been in prison. You got to think about this now. There's several other times where we learn in the Bible where Paul was locked up. And uh, if you go over Acts chapter 16, for example, which happened earlier, before he writes Philippians. He's over there, and uh, he's trying to go to a small group meeting one night with his buddy named Silas. And on the way there, um, they say, hey, there's this woman who's got this evil spirit. Can you help? He's like, well, no, but Jesus can. Cast out the evil spirit. And everyone's mad because they were making money off the woman. So the crowd gets turns into a violent gang and a riot, and they beat the stuffings out of Paul and Silas. There's a big crowd ruckus going on. The magistrates say, who's the cause of this? And they point to these guys who are already staggering and bloodied. And the magistrates ordered them in verse 22 of Acts chapter 16 to be stripped and beaten with rods. And so there they are beaten up again. Getting beat up twice in one night is kind of rough. I hope that you are not literally stripped and beaten with rods this week, but I know that some of us are stripped, feeling stripped of our joy, feeling stripped of your faith. You're, you're trying to find it, but it's like elusive. And you feel beaten down with anxiety and worry right now. So Paul and Silas are physically in that same spot. Can you visualize it? Sitting on a hard, hard, cold prison floor. Bloodied. Blood on their face. Big disgrace. Broken nose. Couple of broken ribs. Black eyes cut on their forehead. Sitting there. Hungry. Tired. You know what they do? It's like turning to be midnight. It's late at night. Paul says to Silas, Hey, Si. You know what we should do? Silas is like, what? Paul says, I think we should thank God right now. I think we should praise God. You just learned your friend has cancer. You just found out your kid's on drugs. 
What should we do right now? I think, I, I think we should give thanks right now. I think we should praise God in this moment. And Sai says, might as well. They begin to thank God and count it out and sing and pray and praise. And friends, that's the power of perspective. I had a friend who, who was convinced everything was going bad in his life and his, his doctor finally told him, things aren't going so bad for you. I've seen bad. This isn't so bad. And here's, here was the advice. He says, you've been just looking at what's wrong. Don't forget what's right. Don't forget to look at what's right. Look at the big picture. Look also at what's right. Paul and Silas are sitting there, blood on their faces, broken ribs, and they're like, well, we ain't dead, so we ain't done. Friend, if you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? So look at what's right. And they began to count their blessings in that moment. That's the power of perspective. Now think about this. God hadn't delivered them from prison or done some miracle. They're sitting there in, in dried blood and they're not, because they're not praising God for what he had done. They're praising God in that moment for who he is and what was already in their cup. You see the difference? That's different. We've got to get better at praising God, not just for what he does, if he comes through in the way we tell him to, when we want him to, but who he is. That's a different, deeper level of praise. They're still in pain and still in prison, but they're not looking at the problem. They're looking at the praise. That's the power of perspective. And if you do that, you will have joy in all circumstances. But until you learn to do that, you'll be a prisoner of anxiety. Now, spoiler alert. Acts chapter 16, let me tell you what happens. God, in the middle of their praise, comes through and visits them. He visits us in the middle of our praise. Hello? He comes in the middle of our praise. And while they're praising, God shows up. There's an earthquake and the, whole, the, the, the shackles fall off and the doors fly open. And they walk out of prison free that night. But when they're writing this over in Rome to the, Philipp, to the Philippians, there was no earthquake. There was nothing. They're sitting there in chains. So you rejoice and give thanks when he delivers you and changes your circumstances. And you rejoice and give thanks when he doesn't. And that, my friend, is how you worship God, not just for what he does for you, but who he is and what he's already done in Jesus Christ. That's the power of perspective. And no matter what's going on, God is on the throne and God is good. He's at work in your life. And it's a powerful thing to give thanks. I don't know what kind of chains are binding you, what kind of prison you're in of panic or anxiety. I don't know what kind of bloodied, beat up state you're in today. But I know this. I know that if you will not forget to look at what's right... And say, I'm not going to panic. I'm going to learn how to praise in the midst of this. And you make your list of the stuff in your bucket. And you keep writing. And you do it every day. God will, God will help diffuse the anxiety. Some of you are mad at me. Like, you don't understand my anxiety. I, you're right, I don't. But I know this. I know this is true and works. So you try it too. Lamentations 3. The guy was going through a horrible time. Read Lamentations 3 sometime. You're feeling too happy and you want to get depressed. <laughs> First 20 verses are a excruciating account of how horrible his life is. He wraps it up in verse 19 saying, You know what? Everything I'd hoped for from the Lord is lost. I'll never forget this awful time and grieve over my loss. Well, there's a real pick-me-up. Put that on your refrigerator magnet. But you know what he says in the next verse, 21? Yet, 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 I 
dare to hope when I remember this, that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. There's a new bunch of mercy coming in. I say, oh, I experience joy. I give thanks. New mercies come. New mercies come. New mercies come. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's how the peace of God, which transcends understandings, will fill your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God, help us not just to understand this. Help us to do it. And tomorrow, give us a new blank card and let us fill it in. Or let us look back at the old card. Keep it on our phone. Whatever we need to do, Lord, to remind us how good you are instead of how bad we think we have it. And help us, Lord, the ones who are suffering from the most acute anxiety, to focus on you, the one who is faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.